Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, creator, host, MovieSharkDeBlore.com. Find me on Twitter, MovieSharkD. Find me on Examiner. Find me in Culver City Observer. Find my reviews and interviews everywhere. And of course, every Monday, you can find us right here live on Adrenaline Radio, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time with Behind the Lens. So welcome to all of you. Um, it's been a really big Big this past week, a lot been screening a lot of the big, big Christmas releases uh, and going behind the lens and below the line with a lot of the artisans and craftsmen of those films. So we'll be hearing from bits and pieces of those throughout the remainder of award seasons up to up to the Academy Awards. Um, The big the big story on behind the lens was the Star Wars The Force Awakens junket yesterday. Uh, held in an, a secret location in Los Angeles. Uh, we had multiple panels of press conferences, including favorites, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, J.J. Abrams, Oscar Isaac, John Boyega, who you heard from here last week, um, Daisy Ridley, just Larry Kasdan, Kathleen Ken- producer Kathleen Kennedy. Next week you will hear excerpts of that when we get some clean audio from Disney. Uh, But needless to say, I got to talk up Star Wars and the presentation that Disney put together yesterday. Uh, I had the pleasure, Bob Iger himself was there. I had the pleasure and privilege to get to talk to Bob for a few minutes. Uh, As many of you may know, my father worked with Bob for a number of years as so it was really nice to catch up with him and to see him personally so invested and involved in Star Wars. Uh, he could possibly be the biggest fan amongst everyone. Uh, there is a lot of product coming out for the film that you haven't seen yet or that is just breaking. I have been assured by the merchandise marketing reps at Disney that all of you that have been trying to get Star Wars merchandise, there are new shipments that are being held back until the film opens on the 18th. So when you see empty shelves everywhere, fear not, more Star Wars merchandise is coming. There are some gorgeous watches. And when you watch the video of today's show later in the week, I photographed all of this yesterday. So Jordan will be cutting in all of these pictures so you can see some of the things I'm talking about. Uh, One of the coolest things that they have done uh, is for the Disney Infinity, the Star Wars The Force Awakens, and the characters. Yes, they gave me a Kylo Ren. I'm quite excited about that. But the nothing works yet. You can get all your little game pieces, all your little players, but nothing works. And we could not even see exactly what is in the Star Wars Force Awakens uh, Disney Infinity game because it, this is the first time that the game follows the film. So for them to even have allowed to let us even try out 
the system and try out the game, we would have, there are spoilers galore. So even that was a secret for, uh, to all the press yesterday. But exciting, exciting to see the capabilities, to see all the players that are already out there, all the, all the game pieces, to see which ones are coming up. You jewelry fanatics out there, like myself, four or five different watch styles are coming up. Multiple t-shirt styles. I am, of course, wearing one today in keeping with the spirit and counting down the day, uh, the days to The Force Awakens. Uh, and then we also had, there is this fabulous, as my sound engineer Brian was explaining to me earlier, this is what, Google Card, it's like Google Cardboard, correct, Brian? Okay. And you actually you download the Star Wars app on your iPhone or your Android. It will, this will, system will work on both. You download the app, you then slide it into one of the nifty little cardboard viewers, kind of like the Viewmaster of generations ago, but for the 21st century. And there are nine of these little boxes. For Verizon customers, they are free. Otherwise, you have to pay for them. But for Verizon customers, which I am, so I'm going to get all nine, right now only two are out, and it takes you through chapters of the movie, and it's, you know, virtual reality, and you just move around the room and follow, and you go through. It is, I can say in all honesty, it's the first time I've ever tried anything like this before, and I did try it yesterday, and I just think it's one of the coolest things around. So I can't wait to go to my Verizon store to get my chapter two, and then as they come out, between now and the 18th, the other seven. So be on the lookout for these. And Verizon customers, something free that's Star Wars. So there you have it. Um, you're going to get to hear. I'll be talking more about costuming. A lot of costumes on display, including some beautiful, beautiful work in the Kylo Ren costume, uh, costuming. Uh, Harrison Ford's costume. Photograph that, Princess Leia's. Um, Carrie Fisher describes Princess Leia's costume as looking like that of a gas station attendant, but with a very long jacket over it. That very long jacket is an exquisite piece of silk moiré, uh, which she actually wore in the film and was on display yesterday. Uh, Stormtroopers, snowtroopers, just amazing some amazing, glorious settings. Disney outdid themselves. Um, I applaud you. I thank you immensely. And I can't wait to see the film. We did not get to see the film. Just so everybody knows. I, I haven't seen it either. But uh, so next week you're going to hear uh, some of the antics that went on at the press conference. And then lit, when you watch this week's show and next week's also lots of photos that I took. We're going to be uh, uh, interspersing them, editing them into the video. Uh, for your pleasure and entertainment. But pleasure and entertainment today. I am so excited today with my, with my guest. Two authors. Any of you that have read my columns over the years, my reviews, interviews, I am very passionate about reading, about book adaptations to film. I am a real stickler on them. Literary license that may be taken. Um... But reading was such an important part of my life, and I think every child 
should the earlier they start reading, the better it is because it spurs the imagination and it takes you to places that you may never get to go. And two such authors I am so happy to have today. Number one, coming up uh, at the quarter hour mark, we've got Steve Alton, New York Times bestseller. His first book years ago, still one of my favorites. Forget about Jaws and Peter Benchley. Meg. Meg is the shark, the behemoth of all behemoths. Um, absolutely a megalodon from ancient times. Uh, Meg has now been re-released for its 20th anniversary. There is a new version that's out with illustrations and some fun, cool things that Steve's going to talk about. Plus, we're going to talk about Warner's picking up the rights to the film, and Eli Roth is going to be directing it. Now, anybody who's seen Eli's Green Inferno recently with what he's done with cannibals, it's going to be really interesting what he does with sharks that can swallow, I think, all the cannibals that he had in Green Inferno in one mouthful. So really exciting to have Steve here. You know, in addition to the Meg series, he's got so many others. A Grim Reaper series that, uh, is one of my favorites that he's done. Also, he's done The, uh, the Trench, Goliath, The Lock, uh, modern-day thriller about the Loch Ness Monster, uh, The Shell Game. Uh, just exciting stuff that a lot of it is rooted in science, and then it becomes sci-fi and fiction. And uh, so it's great to have Steve joining me in a few minutes. And then at the half hour mark, children's book author Nancy Ann Gautier. Her books are beyond enchanting. Uh, we're going to be talking, uh, starting off talking about Mermaids on Mars, which has been made into a short film. Uh, it will remind a lot of you of the Rankin-Bass styling with the puppetry, uh, claymation of uh, the uh, Christian children's show Davy and Goliath from decades past. Absolutely charming mix of live action and puppetry in this uh, short film, which will be showing in Los Angeles on the 12th and 13th at the Los Angeles International Children's Film Festival over at LACMA, I believe. Uh, I'll have Nancy clarify that for us when uh, she's online, but her books are so charming. Uh, and I got to give a shout out to a little friend in Boston, Genevieve Norton. Genevieve is, was, and her brother Harry, um, Nancy was kind enough, she and her publicist, to send copies of all five of her books to Genevieve, who I understand absolutely loves the one called Roy G. Biv is mad at me because I love pink. And Genevieve loves pink. And the heroine in Nancy's books is named Genevieve. So we're going to talk to Nancy about Mermaids on Mars, Roy G. Biv, the adorable book, I Wish. What other ones do I have here? Circus in the Sky. And as I'm destroying the whole set, Jude's Moon. Uh, the and the illustrations of the books. Parents, I'm telling you right now, go to nancylandkids.com. You can order the books there directly. You will not go wrong with any of these books. They are absolutely fabulous. Some are paperback, some are hardback. 
Um, most of them are illustrated by, well, no, they all have different, we've got uh, Andrew Vera illustrating, we've got Tina Cash Walsh who illustrates Mermaids on Mars and Jude's Moon. Absolutely enchanting, great use of color, very just engaging for any child. And these are for boys and girls alike, uh, as you're going to find out when Nancy is on the line with us. So get ready for a blend of when literature meets film today. But right now we're going to take a short break if I can get before Steve Alton calls, and we'll be right back. Behind the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And welcome back to Behind the Lens. And joining me right now is my fellow Philadelphian and fellow Temple Owl, Steve Alton. Go Eagles. Go, hey. <laughs> hey, we were just talking about that earlier. I missed the game yesterday. Oh, no. Because of the Star Wars junket. I don't know. The Eagles or Star Wars. That's a toss-up. Well, you got to go with Star Wars the way the birds were playing, but... Uh... I hear I hear they were amazing yesterday, though. Amazing and lucky. <laughs> well, I am very amazed and very lucky to have you joining me today, Steve. I mean, this is, as I've emailed you before, I mean, you're Grim Reaper. I love Grim Reaper End of Days. And Meg is just, I fell in love with that when it first came out. And I still have my original copy, my hardback. Um this is exciting. This isn't doesn't happen too often in the literary world with anniversary editions of books coming out. Well, it, it's an interesting story because uh, I wrote Meg back in 1995, and for the 20th anniversary, uh, I wanted to com- I wanted to redo it, and and uh, I had written a prequel a couple years ago called Meg Origins that was just an ebook. It wasn't big enough to to. Uh, be printed as a separate book so i wanted to combine the two stories at the prequel first and then the original meg but when i put them together um they didn't mesh because the writing from 20 years ago was so different than the way i write today i mean my writing has evolved so much so i realized that uh well this is not going to work so i my only choice was to rewrite the entire book which i did so new dialogue new scenes, expanded edition, changes in the character, and, and basically came up with a whole new story. How difficult is it for you to take your earlier works and totally rework them? Well, it's time-consuming. I, 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 I really only thought it would take a week or two, and it took four months. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, it's just I, I wanted it to be right. And uh, it's not that the story has drastically changed, because it hasn't, but, you know, I just wanted it to be sharper. I, you know, 20 years ago, I'm, I, it was my first time I had ever written a book uh, when I when the original May came out. And, and so, I, I, like I said, my writing has evolved a lot since then. You know, what is your fascination? Because you have such a grasp of 
sharks, the shark world, and this megalodon, what prompted your fascination with sharks? Well, when I was uh, about 15 years old, make, uh, Jaws came out, and, um, you know, I loved Jaws, and, and, and Jaws spurred me on to read more books about uh, great white sharks, you know, real attack stories. And in, in most of the books that I had read, uh, there was a little blurb about Carcharodon Megalodon, the 70-foot prehistoric cousin of the great white, and, and usually accompanied by a black-and-white photo taken at the Smithsonian Institute of a big Megalodon jaw with six nerdy-looking scientists sitting <laughs> inside of it. And, and uh, 20 years later, when I was 35, um, I was reading a Time Magazine article and on the front cover of the magazine was the Mariana Trench, which is this amazing 1,500-mile-long, uh, 40-mile-wide gorge seven miles below the surface of the western Pacific. Oh, yeah, I am fascinated. I, that fascinated and struck me when I was in elementary school, and it's never gotten out of my head. And, you know, it's unexplored, and they were talking. the article was talking about hydrothermal vents and all these uh, amazing new life forms that we've discovered at the bottom of the ocean. And, you know, I just... The seeds were planted right then. You know, I, I was thinking, what would it be a cool story if that, that giant shark that I had read about years ago was in there? And I, I couldn't think of the name of it, so I went to the library. There was no Internet in 1995. And, and uh, I found the picture, and I, and I started doing research, and I just set my mind to it that I was going to write this story. I mean, it's and, – and then, I mean, you've just taken off since then, you know, delving into so many different – you know, themes with your books. But something that you do that I just I just love is your Adopt an Author program. Well, Adopt an Author is, uh, it, it kind of started on its own. Uh, after May came out, I found out, well, I started getting email from students who were all telling me the same thing. They, they hated to read but they love reading Meg. And then I started getting email from teachers, science teachers and language arts teachers, English teachers, who told me they were using Meg in the classroom because it was getting the students to read. And then I found out uh, that Meg had been named the, the number one selection by the Young Adult Library Services Association for Reluctant Readers. And I knew something was happening that I needed to get involved with um, my backgrounds in education. I have a, a bachelor's degree in in teaching and coaching uh, in high school. I have a master's in sports medicine and a, and a doctorate in education. And and so I, I, I sort of realized that, you know, it was time for me to get involved in this. And so we set up Adopt an Author. And basically for teachers who want to use uh, the books in classrooms, we provide free curriculum materials, tests, quizzes, projects, um, a free poster for every teacher. And we pay for everything ourselves and, and um but the additional thing about adopting authors is that myself and other authors will uh, go visit the schools or do a Skype interview with the, in the class or an in-class conference call by speakerphone. And, and as the students are reading the book, they'll email me, and I always email everybody back. And, and uh, it's, we started off with uh, probably three teachers back in, in 1999, and we're over 10,000 registered teachers in the country now. Wow. That, I mean, I just think that is amazing. Because as, as I said at the top of my show, it's like there is nothing better than for kids to start reading and to get involved in reading. Because it just will take their imaginations to places that they may never go. 
and it just spurs and inspires them. And of course, so many great movies and sometimes not so great ones have have been inspired by or come directly from books. And we're about to see that happen with Meg, aren't we? Well, it's it's going into production soon. Uh, they're still casting, and we, we're hoping for a big announcement from Warner Brothers soon. But uh, I'd say it's, gonna, it's still going to be a couple summers before the movie's in theaters. Now, are you now? Eli Roth is is going to be directing, and Eli, I think, is one of the prime people who would be perfect, you know, to direct Meg. Either Eli or one or one of the the cadre that are ensconced at Blumhouse, uh, somebody like Ty West, but I think Ty's moved on to bigger and better things with the Fast and Furious franchise. Um, but this is exciting to see this brought to the big screen and to have somebody like Eli attached to direct this. Now, are you going to be, are you involved in the screenplay? Because I know you've written screenplays before. The, uh, the screenplay for Meg that was uh, used by producer Belle Avery uh, to raise the money, she uh, raised over a hundred million dollars from private investors. Uh, was my script that I worked on with her for a few years, and um, you know it's evolved now. There's a new screenwriter attached, but um, you know essentially it's it's it stays pretty true to the book. Is that important? And, uh, as as far as Eli is concerned, um, you know I was when I first heard that he was named the director. I, I you know I. My first response was, well, that's an unusual choice. But then as I've gotten to see him, and uh, he was on Shark After Dark during Shark Week this year, and mm-hmm. and he's really a shark fanatic. And, and, and what he brings to the movie is that, I mean, he's got a dark edge to him. And his movies, you know, are, you know, edge-of-the-seat thrillers that, you know, don't rely on special effects. They rely on the, the plotting and, and his direction and, and so I think he really brings something special to the Meg series. Mm-hmm. Now, will you be working, you know, on the film at all or serving as a consultant to make sure that it does stay true to your vision? Or are you just going to turn it over and say, okay, do what you will? Well, Bill Avery, who's the lead producer, is, you know, in sync with the things that I am doing. And, and uh, so I trust her implicitly. And, and I think it's a pretty good team. So I'm not, I'm not worried about it, but it, whatever they want me for, all they have to do is ask. <laughs> well, you can be sure that I'm going to be hounding all my reps at Warner Brothers. Got any news? Got any news? Got any news on this? Because uh, I'm really, I'm curious to see what Eli does with it, because he's, I think he's going to have to go with CGI in this one, which I know he doesn't like doing. No, I mean, there was an article about it uh, that came out recently, and, and he's 100% committed to CGI. I mean, this is just... You know, to look right, you've, you've got to have that great shark. And and Warner's uh, other marine movie, if you will, um, The Heart of the Sea, comes out, I think, next week. And mm-hmm. and the CGI in that is supposed to be really good. Well, I'm actually see- screening that tonight, so okay. I'll have a better idea. Now, you know, Steve, because you, I mean, you just keep writing and keep writing. And you have such a diversity in the themes of your books. What is it that inspires you when you write? Where where does your inspiration come from? Well, probably the research. Um, I'm really key on research. Um, I'll start off with a concept for a story and then research the heck out of it and, 
and even uh, and as I create a beat sheet and, a, and an outline, um, I'll continue the research. And and then once I start writing, um, you know, the, the devil's in the details, and so I, I make sure that I get every little detail that needs to be in there, so that um, it's educational for the reader without being overburdened. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I want them to come out with the same things that I'm coming out with, you know, the knowledge of this new subject, and and in a in a process that you know keeps the story moving. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite among your books to date? Uh, you know, that's I I can't answer that a lot. It, it, the books, a lot of them are so different, and um, you know, it's sort of like picking children. <laughs> you know, if you have a favorite <laughs> child. You may, but you never want to say it. Um, but I think this new um, expanded edition of Meg, which is coming out this week, um, is really good. It, I mean, it's what I love about it is that the writing is updated, the the, the plotting is it has been um, you know energized, and and I also included um, in addition to the prequel, I included seventeen uh, original pieces of art that were done over the years, whether for the movies or uh, commissioned from one of, one or two of my artists. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it adds to the reading experience. So, I, you know, I'd have to say that the new paperback edition that, that's coming out this week is probably as top-notch as it's going to get. And where can people find this new paperback edition that's coming out this week? Well, it's just... It, they're just going to start getting into the stores over the next week or two. So the easiest thing you can do is you can go on barnesandnoble.com and order the paperback edition mm-hmm. or um, call your local bookstore and, and ask for it to be special ordered, and, and they'll make sure they get a bunch of copies in. Mm-hmm. Do you know, will it be available through your website? No, I, I, don't, I don't sell the books on my website, but, um, but you can certainly see the book, and, and there'll be a link to order it, too. Oh, fabulous. Now, you know, you mentioned that your writing has changed over the years. How would you describe how your writing has changed? Well, it it's important for me to continue to grow as an author. And, and when Meg first came out, um, you know, it was my first book. And, and uh, I wanted to become better at developing characters. That was important to me. So, you know, I try to read books that uh, have done very well and, and are very popular over the years and, and try to gain a little bit of something from every author that I read about. And then once you find your own voice, there was a big change in me from Meg. There was a slight change from Meg to The Trench, my second book, which mm-hmm. was also part of the Meg series. But then there was a big jump uh, for Domain, which was my third book, because I really had a, a lot of trouble plotting out the book, and I really had trouble with the publisher <laughs> who wanted a completely different story. Domain is about the Mayan calendar's 2,500-year-old uh, doomsday prophecy that predicted that, you know, humanity would come to an end on December 12, uh, 21st, 2012. And, and I was about 10 years ahead of the curve on, on writing stories about it. And, uh, and I was having a tough time doing it, but when I finally figured it out, um, something clicked and, and my writing really took off. Well, I mean, I just, I mean, I love, I just love your writing. I love your writing, Steve. And your your books are the kind, like, with Grim Reaper, End of Days, I could not put it down. I start one of your books, and I have to read it all the way through at one time. 
Well, Grim Reaper in the Days uh, was a tough book to write. <laughs> I've got to tell you that that one took me about two years, and and you know that's a long time to be writing a book, and and it's just that's a very layered story. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time I go back and and go through it, and I find something else that I wasn't expecting, and so that is a complex book. Well, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending two years on that book. Because I mean, I just love that book. Are there any of your books that you would like to go back and revisit again, like you've done with Meg? Uh, maybe The Trench, just to calm down one of the characters in there who curses like a drunk sailor and, <laughs> and so that the book can be used more for the Adopt and Author <laughs> program. Other than that, no, I'm pretty satisfied with, with the rest of the books. Oh, uh. Steve, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Uh, this this is a real treat for me to have you to have you call in. Um, it is everybody has must go to Barnes and Noble and get hold of the new copy of Meg. And will there is there another new book coming up after Meg that you're working on? Yeah, I'm working on something called The Second Angel, and it's um, it's similar in some ways to the Shell Game. It's it's um, very topical because uh, it deals with terrorism and, and ISIS and things like that. And wow. It's got a sort of a, a major surprise in it. And any idea when that will be hitting the bookshelves? Uh, I'm still writing it, so it, it's, <laughs> you know, it's probably going to be four or five months before I just even finish the writing. But it's, um, I have a new publishing company now that, I, that, uh, that I'm part owner in, and so we can get things out a lot quicker. Oh, well, I look definitely look forward to that. And I hope when it's done, I would love to have I would love to have you call back in again. No, I would love to do that. Appreciate it. Oh, Steve, thank you so much. Meg in bookstores starting next starting next week, this week. This week. Uh, it'll you can order it now and uh they'll start in the next week or two they'll start hitting bookstores, but and, but call your bookstore first to make sure they have And if they don't, yell at them and tell them to get it. Or ask nicely. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Steve Alton, New York Times best-selling author of Meg Get the New Book, people. And now I am thrilled to have another author. I'm just in I'm just in little literary heaven today. Welcome, Nancy Gutierrez. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Hi, Nancy. Welcome to Behind the Lens. I am just, I am thrilled to have you. I am, number one, you have an incredible, incredible rep. Dea is amazing, and your books are just fabulous. Oh, thank you so much. Your books are fabulous. I mean, if, I mean, I'm 58 years old, and I love reading them. Um, I can just I can just imagine, and I have I have to thank you, what you and Dea did sending these books to my little friend Genevieve in Boston, uh, to her and her brother Harry, who are the perfect age for these stories, and you know, it, it's, 
the fact that you have heroines named Ger- uh, Genevieve. I know. I thought that was so special. And they are, and I told Dale, send her pictures. Her, their dad took pictures of them with all of your books, which they are now I, in love with. I would love that. Thank you so much. So I know I, Genevieve's not a common name, so that was pretty exciting. Uh, to yes. Know that it was going to a Genevieve. And, yeah. and one of the exciting things, Mermaids on Mars, because I've also seen the short film. And what a charming adaptation to a live-action and puppetry blend. You know, of a mom telling her sick daughter in bed a story that just unfolds and comes to life. Uh, Absolutely charming design. But before we get into the adaptation, I want to talk about the printed page, the beautiful illustrations in all of your books, and where these these fanciful yet instructive there's there you have little moral lessons in all of them yes and you know you say important things like mermaids on mars you know save your oceans they're trying to take water away on mars and mermaids have to come here but you know we've got to protect them here if they're here in the waters just like we have to protect the whales and the fish and all this other stuff so where where do these great ideas come from for your books? Oh, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Where do, the, where do your great ideas come from for well, these Well, you books? know, my kids inspire me every day. I, I, I actually adopted my three beautiful children from birth, and um, just watching them grow, um, I grew with them. So I was just so amazed by their just natural curiosity for the world around them. And, and then I just started writing stories for them and actually with them. So, um, you know, my first book was really for my daughter, Genevieve, who loved the color pink. And, you know, I came up, that was the first book, you know, and I kind of came up with a fun way to help her to discover other colors by meeting the rainbow, Roy G. Biv, which is the an acronym for the, <laughs> you know, sequence of the colors of the rainbow. And, you know, after I did that one, then my sons were like, well, where's my book? So, you know, I kept going and going. And Mermaids on Mars came about because, you know, I live in San Francisco and we always are experiencing a drought. And uh, they were wasting water in the yards, spraying the hose and, you know, or overflooding the bathtub. So, you know, I wanted to find a fun way to reach kids and explain to them the importance of this precious resource. And, you know, they don't want to hear the boring facts. So, no. you know, like I said it on Mermaids on Mars. Why not? Because Mars doesn't have water, even though there's evidence of it now. But, you know, it, it was kind of a fun way to really let them uh, into a world where they can understand how important water is through the, the, the lens or the eyes of the mermaids. Well, and as luck would have it, with all the exploration and all the talk about go, about the space race and going to Mars... It, very timely, too. They're yeah, well, I, I wrote it a few years ago. I can't remember the exact date, but um, you know, I've always been fascinated with the planet and the skies and that there's more out there in the universe. And, um, you know, so I always, like, live in this childlike fantasy world. And, you know, but I, I did do my research on Mars, and, you know, there were there are ice pack waters, you know, in, mm-hmm. in certain areas. And then I learned that it was covered one-third covered with water and, you know so they, then the story became you know this is facts you know they, this is real facts you know maybe the mermaid part is a little fantasy but you know there was water on mars and and it is uh you know a planet that we we want to explore and you know i matt damon came out with that 
or that fell on Mars and Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's po- there's possibilities there, and now NASA found water on Mars. So, you know, it, it, it really uh, shows that you can dream and fantasize, but there's some some things are based on facts, and this happened to you know work perfectly with my story. Oh, I mean, it's uh, you know that's the whole the whole idea of the mermaids on Mars, and I can't, couldn't help but think of, and now the science actually backs up the water theory. So maybe there were mermaids on Mars. You know, you never know. You know, evolution. So, you know, I came up with this fun concept that (laughs) the first mermaids, you know, originated on Mars. And then um, due to, you know, environmental issues, they morphed into Martians. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like, you know, it's it's possible, (laughs) even though it sounds so fantastic. But, you know, that's kind of how it works in my story. And, um, you know, it's, you know, like, it's based in truth. But, you know, you never know because everything's, you know, the the great unknown. So, but I love the fantasy aspect of it. And, you know, you know, people, when they watch the show, since I d- we do video the show, and I have all the books on display here. So when they watch the video later this week, you'll see the book, Mermaids on Mars. There's actually a section here for kids, Mermaids, Five Rules for Conserving Water. And these are just charming, charming Cutting down on showers, it should be rules for me, too. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, just even even flushing toilets. And we all know kids in bathrooms and toilets is that's that's a go getter. That's that, you know, they relate to that. Exactly. You know, so through the, you know, the eyes of the mermaids, it makes it, you know, easier for kids to accept the facts. You know, like if I would just say, oh, don't do this, don't do that. They'd be like, oh, mom, stop. But because the mermaids say. You know, don't flush the toilet too much. Don't take these long, long showers. Don't let the, you know, don't water your shower or your plants for hours and hours. You know, like, there's just little simple things we could do to help um, preserve this natural resource. And, you know, they're really small ways for us to do it, but it really does make an impact on the environment. And just being aware of it is Mm -hmm. really important for me. And to have children at a small age be aware of the importance of this this resource, I think, is is really valuable. So that's why I was really excited to get this book out. Oh, I mean, timely, topical. You know, it's it's just Jerry Brown, Governor Brown, should be like buying hundreds of these and distributing them in schools. Yeah. Now, you know, in the adaptation to the short film version, which will be screening here in Los Angeles uh, this weekend at the. Los Angeles International Children's Film Festival. You know, now we actually get to see a Martian and we find out how the mermaids came to Earth. How was that adaptation process for you? Well, you know, the book and the the film, they're kind of two different stories, Mm -hmm. even though they both have the same important message about water conservation. But, you know, the... um, Due to budgeting, you know, in the film, we made it, I wrote it as a full-length feature film, but Mm -hmm. because of budgeting, I had to turn it into just 20 minutes to get my message out there, which I still think, you know, Athena Studios did a beautiful job helping me adapt this to 20 minutes uh, message. But, um, you know, they definitely come through the portal to get to to planet Earth, but... Mm -hmm. You know, still important in the book, they go through a rocket ship. But, you know, and still they, the, the big message is they had to come here. Mm-hmm. And they had to, you know, appreciate the waterways here. And 
and helping kids and and parents, you know, really understand the importance of it. And you know, mermaids can't live without water, and we can't either. So, you know, I think it's a it's a good message for kids. And and when you see it based on Mars with this Martian taking away their water supply, you know, it really um, kind of wants wants to make you stand up and take action. And I think kids really resonate with this message. Oh, and he is hilarious. Oh, he's he, my favorite character. He, you know, at first I was like, oh, I'm, I just love mermaids, you know, because I have these T-shirts, Team Martian or Team Mermaids. But the Martian, he is just so lovable, even though he's bent on destruction and taking the waters away from the mermaids. He's really lovable. And, you know, the reason why is I really wanted it to be a musical. I grew up, you know, watching so many musicals. I love Willy Wonka and Wizard of Oz. And... You know, I wanted to make him really fun and lovable. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it to be a scary film. I think with children, you know, I want to get the message across, but I don't want to build their life on fear. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a kind of a fun, whimsical way. He's a lovable character, even though he's taken the water away. But he didn't want to hurt the mermaids. He just wanted the mermaids to be like him. So, you because know, it's he was still in a love. love message in there as well, even though his ideas of how to get there were a little <laughs> um, questionable. But uh, he's definitely my favorite character, oh. and um, I love his song. And uh, this, he's, he's yeah, he's wonderful. He is. I mean, I I can honestly say he I am he is my favorite character too. I, he is he is just so much fun. Yeah. And what you also do in the adaptation, you bring in father and son, mother and daughter. Yeah. So it, this becomes you know a bonding experience of parents and children too yes yeah well I totally believe in in family you know I we all have different families right now like I explained earlier my kids are adopted and you know we all have different families this is the ideal family in the film but you know it's learning from each other and you know learning to believe and and the song you know my my dad is my hero I think that really just really touches my heart Mm because I believe you know all of our parents either dad or mom or you know, caretaker, <clears throat> children do have this bond with somebody that's really going to help them, teach them a message. And, you know, this little boy really believed in his dad, even though everybody was against him. It was kooky. You know, he just really trusted. So there's a lot of good messages in this film. It's about believing in yourself, believing in others, even when everybody is against it. And, you know, even believing in the fantastic, like that there are mermaids, mm-hmm. you know, and this little boy really faces a lot of um, these contradictions, and and he faces them head on. And, and you know, he comes out being a better person in the end, and even having to keep a secret just to protect himself. Even though letting it out would, you know, clear his name and his dad's name. You know, so there's really good messages in this film, and and I that's what I my quest is with my books is you know bringing the moral of the story back to film and and literature well and you know your circus in the sky book i just it is fantastic you know about the 88 constellations and you the watercolor drawings in there from your illustrators absolutely stunning but what we learn i mean i go through the book and i keep seeing things that i remember learning in elementary school but they've escaped my my mind has drawn a blank after all these years 
And right away, I remember the joy and thrill, you know, Ursa Minor and Major, you know, rolling through the sky. And I immediately, it took me back to, I thought that was really fun that there were big and little bears in the sky. And you learn something with, or your memory is refreshed as an adult with each one of your books. Yeah, you know, that was really important to me. Like, I wanted to share things from my childhood. Like, I love the Greek mythology of the constellations. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they came up with all these stories. You know, I'm not an expert on it, but I just was always so, you know, gravitating towards these Greek mythology about the the night sky. And, um, you know, I really wanted the books to be not only kids can learn, but then parents will want to even learn more. Like, oh, kind of, I remember that. So let's look up even Mm -hmm. more. So, you know, because my family, we always had the Encyclopedia Britannica around. So if we had a question, we would just pull it out. Now we have Google today. So I want the parents to, like, be Googling. Let's learn about a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You know, this is so fascinating and it's exciting. And let's learn a little bit more. So it's they're not just books that you put down at the end of the night and they're done. They, you know, they, you want to take the book outside and look at the night sky and, and learn a little bit more, Google more about, you know, the constellations and, and these stories that have been written. So that's kind of all of my books kind of take you there. They tell you a story, but you want to learn a little bit more. So it's for the parent and the child to keep growing and learning together. Well, I can't tell you how excited I was when I opened Jude's Moon, and we have in here everything, all the phrases we hear meteorologists and people and talk about the moon, the waxing moon, the waning moon, and you have this wonderful diagram, colors with a smiley moon. I now have a handy-dandy chart that I can go to <laughs> when I forget. You're right. You know, I wanted to make it easy. Like, learning uh, is, you know, it's scary for kids. Like, oh, that's so complicated, but... You know, put a, a cute little smile and legs and a dancing little moon. And it's easier, you know, it's to attract the kids to learn more. You have to kind of, you know, get to their level or get to their inspiration point to make it fun to learn. So it's effortless. Oh, I that's mean. kind of was my goal. Like, take away the complications. Just make it easy to learn. You know, this is fun. This is really exciting stuff. Oh, I mean, I, I am just, I'm so excited by all of your books. Because it does, it touches on things that I learned and, you know, may have forgotten. They've, you know, slipped out of the eardrums over the years. But now, also key are your illustrations. How involved are you with your illustrators? Well, it's kind of a funny story. So when I wrote the first book, I, you know, enlisted my daughter, Genevieve, and she's an artist. She loves painting with watercolors. So how it happened, you know, I wasn't always a book author, we sat in the kitchen, and I we came up with a story together, and I would have her draw the pictures, and then I would staple the pages together. And I'm like, oh, look, we have a book. So she made the original mock-ups for Roy G. Biv is Mad at Me because I Love Pink and Mermaids on Mars. So she actually drew them. Wow. And I love a child's imagination so much that that was the, it. So I used her drawings as my mock-up to share with the illustrators to help create the the illustrations that you see today so it was really a shared uh, project with me and my daughter and creating these books oh my god i mean abs these that fabulous now where can people get your books well you can go to nancylandkids.com and it shows you how to uh, purchase the books either on amazon 
Amazon has all the books, uh, Barnes & Nobles, Powell's books. So um, go to nancylandkids.com so you can see a little snippet of the books. You can you know, flip through a few pages and learn about the messaging and then find out which book is right for you and then go to any of those reputable websites to purchase the book. They come in hard copy and also a soft copy. And uh, the soft copies, I think, are under $10 and hard copies under 20 so um, they make great gifts for the holidays. And, again, they're really a great um, gift because they keep giving. Parents mm-hmm. and kids can learn together for so much because these subject matters, you know, stars and moons and, and rainbows, go on forever and ever. And um, it's just a great way to share and learn with your child. Oh, well, I mean, I am just I, – I can't promote your books enough because I just think they are just so fantastic. And I've been on the Nancy Lane Kids site, and parents, it is a wonderfully comprehensive site. Um, you know, and it's totally kid safe, kid friendly. Yes. Which is also so important in this day and age. Yes. Um, so now, what what is next? What can we expect next? Will there be a TV series for Mermaids Sun Mars, or will any of your well, other books you know, be adapted? Dream, I like to dream big, and you know, I. Um Actually, uh, Chuck Williams from Williams-Sonoma, I worked for Williams-Sonoma for 25 years, just passed away, actually being 100, and he said, love what you do and people will love you for it. You know, so I really believe in that message. So, um, you know, my my dream really is to just send them out into the universe. I would love for Mermaids on Mars, it's in the film festivals right now, to either be a full-length feature film, I see great possibilities there because I wrote it as a full-length, mm-hmm. it's actually a musical, and I wrote... 12 songs for it, or, you know, original TV programming, because I really believe um, in educational content, uh, so either working with PBS Kids, uh, Disney Junior, something, you know, taking my books and turning them into actual, uh, you know, programming, because I think kids today, books are great, but I think the visual aspect is really important, Mm -hmm. which I also love, and it's a way for me to combine my books and my music. So that would be, to me, the dream to, you know, create this, you know, turn these books into uh, original programming for for kids, toddlers, and, and kids to watch and, and grow and learn from. Well, and it's definitely something that we are very short on out there in programming now. So yeah. I, for one, would love to see that happen and have everything turned into companion pieces with either a film, a short film, or or tell or cable TV programming, yeah. and then have, you know, a book that goes with it. Uh, you, can't, you can't do much better than that. Yeah. So now I think most of the best films, you know, come from originally come from books, so mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the future. Uh, right now, it's, I think their kids are being bombarded with a lot of images and graphics, and it's really fun. But, you know, going back to kind of old school, I really believe in, you know, nothing's really original and mm-hmm. taking from the past and <clears throat> bringing it into the future and, you know, just turning those really great books into uh, programming so kids can have the moral of the story, you know, take something away mm-hmm. with them instead of just eye candy. And for all of all of our my listeners here, don't worry about missing the website or when the, the video later in the week. We will have all that contact information printed right on the video for you. So that you can very easily find, you know, Nancy and Nancy Land Kids and all of these books. Another book in the works? Yeah, I'm actually, so I wrote a a book for all of my children, and now I'm 
um, I'm inspired by my little puppy, Rosie, the Pomeranian. So oh. she's going to, I call her Nosy Rosie. So she's going to take us to some fabulous places as well because she's just pure love, unconditional love. And so she's the next subject for my books. And when will that, when will a Rosie book come out? I think in 2016, you know, by fall 2016, we'll see something about Rosie. Well, I hope when we do, I hope you will come back. I will definitely come back. This has been such a pleasure. Oh, Nancy, thank you so, so much. And thank you, and happy holidays. Same to you, too, and everybody. Perfect holiday gifts. Yes. Go out and get Mermaids on Mars, Jude's Moon, Roy G. Biv, I Wish, Circus in the Sky. They're fabulous. Thanks, Nancy. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And we're going to take a short break after our lovely children's book hour here. And uh, when we come back, we're going to hear from the filmmakers of Point Break. Located in the heart of Screenland... Culver City Observer is the number one newspaper in Culver City, covering local news, politics, and community events, with sports by Mitch Chortkoff and movie reviews by Debbie Lynn Elias. Culver City Observer is the place to go to be in the know. When you think Culver City and the heart of Screenland, think Culver City Observer. When you think movies and movie reviews, think Culver City Observer. Culver City Observer, a division of Arizona Newspaper Group, is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And we're back, and we're going to jump right in, because we only have about four and a half minutes left. We're going to jump right into Point Break. Um this is the, the 21st century version of Catherine Bigelow's immortal point, uh, original Point Break with Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves. This one stars my friend Edgar Ramirez and Luke Bracey uh, in the roles of Bodie and Utah. Uh, this time, uh, we travel around to 11 different countries, four continents, and extreme sports of every conceivable fashion. Uh, is incorporated into the shooting, directed by Erickson Core. Erickson also is his own DP cinematographer. Uh, many of you may know some of Erickson's work from Invincible, starring Mark Wahlberg, about a Philadelphia Eagle. We're, we're sticking with the Philly film theme today, guys. Um, at the recent press conference for the film with Edgar, Luke, Erickson, uh, Phil Boston, second unit director. There were four second unit directors on... Point Break, each one with a different specialty. Mick Rogers, long, decades uh, long stuntman. One of his primary functions has always been doubling uh, for Mel Gibson. He is also a motocross expert. Phil Boston, surfing experts. He uh, lends Chasing Mavericks and Bill Bong Odyssey. Matt Kutcher, free water diver, uh, was the second unit director for the water unit. And then Jonathan Taylor handled the snowboarding. So I ask Erickson and Phil, because they were at the press conference, the importance of these four second unit directors. So I want to throw this out to Erickson and to Phil in particular, because you're not the only second unit, second unit guy. You've got yourself, you've got Mick, you've got Matt Kutcher, 
and then you've got your snowboard uh, second unit as well. How cohesive and how important was it in your coordination and design of this film with your principal photography and the second unit to have this cohesive flow and showcase everything as well as you did? Uh, it's a good question. We, it was extraordinarily important. Because of all the locations in the world that we shot, 11 countries, four continents, uh, it was impossible for us to do it all. That's how we did it on Invincible, and it was great. Second and first and I did all of that, which was great. In this case, it required specialty people, such as Phil and Nick, um, to do specialty units and shoot in different areas. Um, but I tried to approach it differently, knowing and working as a DP for a long time. I thought it was very important, so I did something very unique on this film that isn't typically done. Phil and I talked about this a lot. We shot all the second unit work prior to the first unit work. Uh, that was incredibly important to me because I know the difference. Uh, if you standard feature film, you go up, you set up a scene, you decide to shoot it, and you put your guys in position, your actors, and they say, okay, great, cut. All right, stunt guys take over. And they go, well, they weren't really standing in the right place. They weren't doing it properly for the sport. It doesn't really make sense, but the check clears, we're going to do it. And that's typically the way it's done. In this case, based on the weather environments and the conditions, it was extremely important to be authentic. That was why Chris, Jeb, uh, Xavier Del Rue, and so many of the other Laird Hamilton and others got involved with us because my promise was to do it authentically and for real. So as a result, it was very important to do the action unit first to understand what the conditions were, what Mother Nature was giving us, and what was possible, and push the limits to the extreme. And then through that, we integrated very carefully with uh, our athletes and with our second unit teams in order to get Luke, Edgar, and the other actors to do exactly what was necessary to be accurate. So we wanted to have no BS in the film. We wanted to make sure that no one from uh, any extreme sport, whether it be surfing, snowboarding, uh, climbing, base jumping, wingsuiting, looked at it and said, that's wrong. You, what you guys did was completely wrong. It was a Hollywood version of our stuff. We weren't doing it more to document it and have it in reality. So that was incredibly important. And when Point Break comes out on Christmas Day, you're going to see just how important all of that was. You know, I mean, Jeb Corliss is the number one uh, wingsuit stunt pilot in the world. Chris Sharma, number one professional free rock climber. Uh, you're going to see scenes in this film of uh, Edgar Ramirez and Luke Bracey hanging off Angel Falls, being at the very top of Mont Blanc. They were actually there. They did that. They hung off of Angel Falls. Uh, but guys like Chris would step in. And when it came to the final execution, they would then execute the extreme sport. That is all the time we have today. We're going to hear some more on Point Break next week, plus Star Wars. And next week, Timur Beck Manmatov will be with us. You don't want to miss that. Until then. <laughs>